This is the Dare to Dream Physician Travel Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Waylee Gray. Hey, you know how many physicians today are feeling overwhelmed and trapped living that busy and unfulfilling life? Yet more than ever, we as physicians are keenly aware that life is precious and tomorrow is not guaranteed to anyone. My mission is to help physicians start living their best life now by discovering and achieving their wildest travel dreams. So come, join us on this journey. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Dare to Dream Physician Travel Podcast. I have such a special treat today. So it's oftentimes I interview people who sort of like I've known in other circles or I've even met in real life. And so today my guest reached out to me on LinkedIn and we actually had chatted last week or two weeks ago on his podcast. And it's, it's so fun to be able to sit down and, and chat with a stranger who now is less of a stranger because I've heard some of his podcasts and, and just talk about travel and talk about things that are important to us in life. And so I am really excited to welcome Dr. Bradley Block. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I've really, I've really been looking forward to this. And in fact, during your episode on my show, we even spoke about travel, which wasn't even the focus, right? We were, we were not intending to talk about it, but it really ended up dovetailing well into this discussion. So it's funny how that worked its way in. Yeah. And so tell us a little bit about yourself because you, you have a really, a really interesting background and, and quite admirable after I just heard about some of the things that you're, you're doing to teach the next generation of physicians. So I'm a private practice otolaryngologist on Long Island. I grew up on Long Island and never expected to be back there, but but here I am within a spitting distance of the giant mall. If you think of something that's prototypically Long Island, that is hanging out at the mall. So I'm in private practice there. I'm part of ENT and Allergy Associates, which is we're the biggest ENT practice in the country. So for any otolaryngologists out there, you've probably heard heard of our practice. But I also, I'm a podcaster as well. As you mentioned, I have the, the Physician's Guide to Doctoring, which is now... Like 250 episodes or something. So I've been doing it for a long time at this point. And it's it's just a personal and professional development. I lack your focus. My topics are really all over the place. So anything that would count as personal or professional development for a, a physician, so the, the topics really go anywhere. And as my tagline is, everything we should have been learning while we were memorizing Krebs cycle. And you said teaching the next generation. I was actually teaching at NYU Long Island. So NYU opened up a new medical school on Long Island, which is, happens to be at the hospital that I've been at for 12 years since I started as an attending. Um, and so I had reached out to the the deans there because before it was a medical school, they just my colleagues that I've grown up with there since I started as an attending. And uh, I was like, hey, I've learned all this stuff from my podcast that I'd like to share with the the, the trainees, with the students. And so I came up with a couple of lectures that I give to them at the end of medical school, actually, because they're going to be graduating very shortly. Wow. And it's it was a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. And I think that's so fantastic. And I was telling you before we started recording, you're going to be that attending that the medical students will remember, especially if maybe they're struggling a little bit in residency and, and starting to feel a little bit burnout or just overwhelmed. And they're going to be like, oh, yeah, there was that really cool attending who gave us a lecture about the real life stuff that that nobody else taught us in the medical school curriculum. So I, I love that, that you, you did that. 
and I have a couple episodes on how to teach effectively. And so I, I'm hoping that I've incorporated some of that stuff into my teaching style. It's, it's hard. It's hard. But incorporating that stuff to make it a little more engaging and memorable for the students. Awesome. Awesome. Well, so when we had chatted beforehand, I said, tell me a little bit about your your life and your personal life and travel. And we picked out some topics to focus on. So tell us a little bit more about your personal life. Okay. So I, like I said, I live on Long Island. I grew up here. I'm, I'm married with three young boys and my wife is actually Swiss. Her dad's American. Her mom is Swiss and she grew up in Switzerland. And so her mom still lives there and her uncles live there and her cousins, some of her cousins live there. Actually, they're kind of scattered throughout the world, her cousins. And so it's hard for my mother-in-law because she has, these are her only three grandchildren at this point. And she lives overseas, so she doesn't get to see them that often. So all of our vacations are trips to see Mima trips to see my mother-in-law and and the rest of the extended family. And so we've been traveling with young children from the beginning. And interestingly, my wife, because she's from Europe, she's done a fair bit of traveling herself. And when we first met, one of the things that she thought was pretty cool about me was she said, when you're from Europe, especially Switzerland, like the four neighboring countries are France, Germany, Italy, and Austria, right? Those are the four countries that border Switzerland. And so she could just, all of those countries are like a hop, skip and a jump away. It's like me driving to New Jersey, right? And now <laughs> she's in Italy or me driving to Vermont where you are, but now she's, she's in Austria or Germany. So the, the question was, how many countries have you been to? And I had actually beat her. I oh. was, I had been to at that point, And my number hasn't grown since then, since I just keep going back to Switzerland at this point, but I had been to, I think 48 countries. And really? I think she had been to like 46, something like that. Because I've done my fair bit of, yeah, we didn't talk about this beforehand, but I've done my fair bit of traveling. I've been, I've been that dirty backpacker a couple times in my life. Nice. When, when was that? So I studied abroad in Israel. And when I did that, that was my junior year of college. There was a summer like intensive language program followed by a few week break, followed by the semester. And so in that few week break, I had been backpacking around Western Europe. And I thought that was the coolest thing. So when I graduated from college, I backpacked around Eastern Europe. Because for me, the Western Europe trip at that point, you know, I was 19. And most of what you're doing is you're looking at, I remember it was all at least the trip that I did, was all Maria e Bambino. You were either looking at pictures of Maria e Bambino in a church or Maria e Bambino in a museum. Like it was just churches and museums because you're going to these cities. Now, I like walking around a city, but also it was more expensive. City Cities are more expensive. So when I graduated college, my next trip was Eastern Europe because I'm Jewish. And so seeing more of my people's history in Eastern Europe. So I went backpacking around Eastern Europe, which was an incredible trip. And I took a year between, cause I didn't decide to go to medical school until kind of late in college. So I had to take a year of quote off a non-academic year. And then, so then I had time before I started medical school. And so then I took six weeks backpacking around Southeast Asia. Wow. So I went to Thailand, Laos, Vietnam, and Cambodia, and then lived in Buffalo for four years. So there was, there was that. <laughs> wow. Um, and then, and then as a resident, every time I took a vacation, I would go somewhere typically in central or South America. Cause for us as residents, 
you had to decide your schedule beforehand and not having a significant other at that time, time, it was just like me on my own. It's so hard to coordinate a vacation with someone like a year in advance. So I would go to, and this is tons of stuff that we hadn't planned on talking about. So I went to, I had my bucket list. What are the things that I want to do? One of the things I wanted to do was to learn to surf. So I went to surf school. So there were many weeks in my residency training where I would stay in like some cheap hostel in some cheap shack and go to surf school. And I went to surf school in Nicaragua and in Ecuador and in Panama. And sometimes I went with friends. I've got my, my two of my best friends in, in training. One was a plastic surgeon, one was a neurosurgeon. So sometimes I would go with one, sometimes I would go with the other. And sometimes all three of us went together. There was one trip where all three of us got to go together. I think it was in Ecuador. And we would go surfing and we would learn to surf. And we're all still terrible. We're terrible. But now I can kind of surf. And that's why when we were talking about it on my podcast, that my big dream is to be able to surf with my boys. So right now they're three, five, and six years old. We have a pool in our backyard and they're all strong swimmers because they're in the pool all the time once it's warm. And so it's not going to be that long before at least the oldest I'll be able to get him. And I've seen all these videos of people getting their really little ones up on a surfboard. Okay, I'm not. That's not That's not us. Like, we've got to wait till, till he's strong. And then he's still going to be in uh, probably like a flotation wetsuit and life jacket. But yeah, that's the big goal is is to be able to, uh, to surf. So between all of those trips, oh, and then right after residency, I did what all the finance podcasters and bloggers tell you not to do. I took out a new credit card with zero APR and I maxed it out because I knew I was going to be an attending. And I took another trip to Southeast Asia where I went to Indonesia and Malaysia and Singapore. And I did some surfing there too. That's so amazing. I'm drooling as I'm hearing this. <laughs> that's that's so amazing. And so let me ask you this. And I, my goodness, I, I can't believe we didn't plan to talk about this. I'm so glad we're talking about this. So a few questions, but I'm most curious about is how has that travel experience that you started when you were a college student and then proceeding until up until you were starting as an attending, how did that travel experience change you? Like in, in what ways has it changed you? It just, it made me broadens your horizons. You realize all the different types of perspectives that is out there, different ways that people live, different ways that people choose to live, different ways that people have to live to see it firsthand. I mean, I don't remember on my last trip to Southeast Asia, I don't remember what country it was in, but there was this hike that you go on and there are these sulfur springs and there are people that harvest the sulfur and have to hike down a mountain carrying this thing that was like, I'm not a small guy. And so they would have you test it out and see if you could hold it. I could barely hold it. And yet they're hiking down a mountain. And it made me think, you know what? What if they would, someone would come in and automate this so they don't have to hike up the mountain and put themselves at risk and breathe in all this sulfur fumes. That being said, now all these people would be out of, out of work. And so there'd be someone making all the money, putting them all to work just because it seems like a good idea doesn't necessarily mean that it is a good idea. The effects on the local economy and not like as a physician, I'm making these decisions, but it just it helps you change your, change your perspective. But also I just want to be clear. I know there's a difference between vacation and travel, right? Like there's, there's a difference. And the difference is like when you're on vacation, you are, you go to a resort, you don't leave the resort. 
which is definitely nice to do and, and has a troll and travel is a little different, but I wasn't working. So it was still vacation. It was just a travel vacation instead of, instead of more of a, more of a leisure vacation. And I think sometimes people put a little too much, um, gravity behind it. Yes, it was a learning experience, but I was still like enjoying myself and hiking and surfing and swimming and snorkeling and walking around, just being lost in different parts of the world. Yeah. And, and, and it just makes you feel a little less, a little more comfortable everywhere. Now that I know that I can get from here to there in many parts of the world and using public transportation, not necessarily even be able to read some of the signs. Like it really empowers you to just feel more comfortable in other situations. Mm, that is so true. That that part. So you're speaking of like Vermont and, and Long Island. And I, one of the cities that intimidated me the most is New York City. And just like that whole, like the five boroughs. And, and it's, I have to tell myself like every time, because I, I have a bunch of college friends that live there. And I always tell them like, can we meet somewhere else? Because I, I don't want to go into the city. And, and if for some reason I had to go into the city, I could do it. And it's not because of anything else except just drawing on, well, yeah, I backpacked through Europe and I've gone into random cities and rode their buses and where I didn't even know the language. And so if I could do that, then I could certainly do this in my own country. So yeah, no, that, that is such a good point. And But it's funny, like I like am such an idiot then when I am staying at my mother-in-law's house because she lives in the suburbs of Zurich. And so if I want to go into downtown Zurich, they're like, okay, here's this ticket, go to this. And then this is the name of the stop. And then they, they walk me through it. Meanwhile, I've done this in 40 other countries where I can use your, plus the Swiss public transportation system is immaculate and on time all the time. It's really unbelievable how on time they are with every single thing. So if I can navigate it in these other places, why am I such an idiot when I'm there? And it's because I can be. Because you can be. Yeah. That's exactly it. Yeah. That, that is so true because I recently just spent about three weeks in the San Francisco area and to visit family. It was part vacation, part visiting family and part doing a little bit of you know, work that I could do on telehealth. So it, it took like a week after I started driving there because I'm like, well, I don't have to drive because my, my aunt or uncle could drive me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I still haven't driven there because everything is stick. Oh, and I don't and I don't drive stick. My wife drives stick because when you pass a driving test in Switzerland, you need to do it driving stick like up a hill. They make it really hard to pass a driving test here. It's pretty easy. So, yeah. So and I still don't know how to drive. That was on the bucket list right after surfing and I haven't gotten into it yet. So, yeah, that actually is on my to do list is to learn to drive a stick so the rental cars don't have to be as expensive. I have two trips coming up in the next year where it is way cheaper to rent a stick shift. And it is like twice almost the price. I'm like, I'm going to learn how to drive a stick because I'm not going to pay twice just for an automatic. Exactly. Exactly. We did that. Actually, another trip that I did was my brother and I rented a car and we drove around Ireland and he was, dude, we can just drive stick. I was like, dude, I will have taken the boards the day before. I'm going to be knocked out. Like we're both going to be jet lagged and we're not going to be able to get, he's like, dude, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. We'll be fine. We'll be fine. Cause he's the older brother. So that's how he is about everything. I've got this. I've got this. You're fine. You're fine. And no, but we still, he figured it out. You figured it out. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Wow. So 
I want to backtrack. Also, you, you you said it was forty eight countries, right? Your wife is. I think that's what it came to. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think for most of our listeners, it just boggles their mind. They're like, "Wow, how did you pick these countries? How did you how did you know where to go?" You mentioned some of it was just well, you just had to go wherever you could go. Was it just following your curiosity, or you know, talking to people on your travels and then figuring out the next place to go? How, how did you find your own adventure? The Lonely Planet. I don't even know if that exists. Does that do those books exist anymore? Like Rick Steves and yeah, you know those because that used to be it was before the internet. Yeah, when the internet was in its infancy, so there was no searching this stuff. Like eventually, like there were, so there used to be internet cafes that I would yes. go to to like check in with my parents, let them know I was still alive. So I'd go and I would email them. Yeah. So we'd go to internet cafes, but now I just let Apple know or Verizon know that I'm going to be out of the country and buy a plan with two clicks of my thumbs. So that's a good question. It was, so the first one was just what were the other people doing? And some of the other people in the, in the program were doing Italy and Greece. And some of the people were going through, through other parts of Western Europe. And I think in retrospect, it wasn't a great idea to do what I did because I blew all of my money in London. Like London is so expensive. And as a college student, I've got no money. It made more sense to, to maybe stick with countries that were less, where, where their money was, was less strong. And, and you remember, this is also before the Euro. Yeah. This was, I guess, oh, this was 2000. Yeah. This was like 99, 2000. Okay. So, so it was more right before the Euro. Exactly. It was, it was right before the Euro and it was, what were other people doing? Okay. What would be interesting places to go? And you could go where you can go with the train. Where's the train going to take me? Oh, okay. Pisa sounds good. Okay. Bologna sounds good. And just go to these places. The second trip to Eastern Europe was a little more intentional. What are the things that I need to see? And so, especially since I was looking for things that were that were Jewish, I, I wanted to go to Warsaw. I went to Prague. I, I saw Auschwitz. So a lot of this stuff just came from the history books. These are the things that you should see because they're going to be important uses. So it was a much different trip. And sometimes you do things that you do things based on where transportation can take you. And so one of the things I did, I, I went to Croatia because there was a boat, because I was meeting, meeting my brother eventually in Greece. So I was supposed to meet my brother in Greece. And there was a boat that would take you from Croatia to, I think it was Corfu. So I decided to change my original plan and went to Croatia instead of, I forgot where I was, where I was really intending to go. As it turns out, there was no longer a boat from Dubrovnik to Corfu. It didn't exist anymore. So now I was stuck. My brother was going to get there and he had never been backpacking before. So he was going to land in Athens with nobody there. I think we were meeting in Santorini with no idea where I was, no idea what was, what was going on. So I was like, this again was before cell phones, before cell phones. It, there was internet, but there was no, uh, but, but there were no cell phones. So I could have told him, but then he was still would have been, would have been screwed. So as it turns out, I met these two other Australian backpackers who were trying to do the same thing. And they were meeting one of their sisters also in Santorini. And they had heard about this flight from Ljubljana, Slovenia. No, Ljubljana. Yes. Ljubljana, Slovenia to Santorini. And so me and them just hung out, ended up making our way to, but we had to wait a couple of days for the flight. So we went to like Lake Bled. It was beautiful. And then we flew to Santorini and met our family. Thank God. Thank God it all, it all worked out. But sometimes you just have to go where transportation reasonably allows you to go. Sounds like an amazing adventure. I actually, that's what I love about traveling is anytime there's 
a problem or an unexpected thing, which if you travel enough, you just learn that that is going to happen. And oftentimes you have to become more spontaneous and oftentimes it adds to the adventure. Like you have to meet people that you normally wouldn't meet and trust them or go, go with them on a, on a flight. And I met a couple of cool people and I had a memorable story that I'm now telling 25 years later. There we go. There's a quote that says travel and I'm, I might be botching it up, but it, but travel leaves you speechless and then you become a storyteller. I love it. I love it. And this is also a, a reason to look into expert witness work, telemedicine, things that we can do where we can earn a living, where we don't need to physically see patients where we are. Use your expertise to earn revenue in other ways, because then you can spend more time away. And that's that's something that I'm I'm looking to do so I can spend more time. So when we go to Switzerland, it's not like the one of the biggest problems is I'm not making money when I'm out there. And so we need to keep the trips shorter than we'd like. And so if I can find a way to make more revenue. And so I think for all of us, you don't have to spend the whole day working, but if you're spending a couple hours a day earning some revenue, you can you can really draw this stuff out and really enjoy it a lot more. Yeah. Yeah, there is this people talk about financial independence or financial freedom and of course that we're we're proponents of that for sure, but time freedom and location freedom, those are also very important and they don't you don't necessarily need financial freedom to have those things. Like you said, if you know you have work that allows you to do some of it offsite, which I currently have, I and mean, it was sort of like a blessing in COVID. With all of a sudden, we I'm staying at the same job that I've always had since I became an attending. But some of my work is remote anyway because it's just reading sleep studies, and then the other part of my work, seeing patients, that part I could never do remotely. But then with the pandemic, I'm able to do that too, and my employers so far are pretty supportive. So. So, so yeah, just taking advantage of that. And, and if you're negotiating for a job to, to, to remember that if that's important to you to ask for, ask for those soft things that may not necessarily be salary based. Yeah. I mean, financial independence, I'm yes, listen, I'm all for it, but it's hard, right? To be able to strip down your spending to so low and be able to work so hard to save so much, you're really giving up a lot of your present time. And so, I mean, for me, what's working out better is having an eye on financial independence, but also being able to take advantage of, you know, taking more vacation and in fact, saving less now so that I can enjoy my kids when they're young, right? Right now they're three, five, and six. And so I want to go on more vacations with them. I don't want to go on fewer vacations with them just so I can be financially independent when they're teenagers and want nothing to do with me anymore. Exactly. Like I can, you know what? I can work more then when they're, when they're teenagers and, and have their own agendas and plans and independence. But right now I, I don't, I don't want to do that. I want to be taking more vacations with them, not fewer, even though I'm not financially independent yet. And, and also if you're living your dreams with them and you're surfing with them and, you know, you're doing these things, they might think that you're the coolest dad still when, when they're teenagers and you might actually have to yeah. <laughs> still not work as much then, but that would be a good problem to have. Well, if, if they want to be skiing in the Alps, they better hang out with me. <laughs> so that's, that's one of the things, actually, my, my wife comes from a big skiing family. She's a snowboarder, but she also skis, but the, the history in their family is interesting is they their my wife's grandfather went to austria and saw that the austrians ski beautifully uh so according to him the austrian technique was much more elegant looking than the swiss technique and 
Austrians are much better at customer service than the Swiss. And so they don't go skiing in Switzerland. They go skiing to Austria, which is a two, two and a half hour drive away. So they ski, they ski there. And that's where my kids are, are learning to ski as well, which is growing up as a kid on Long Island, skiing in the, I grew up skiing in the Catskills, Catskills at resorts that don't exist anymore. Like the, they talk about the Borscht Belt. If you've seen, what is it? What is that? What is that show on Prime? The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, right? Like where she would do stand-up comedy in the Borscht Belt of the, of the Catskills. That's where I grew up skiing on these like <laughs> tiny little crappy icy mountains. And now like my kids, they're learning to ski in the Austrian Alps. It's, uh, it's unbelievable. So if, yes, if you're going to be taking ski lessons and you want to know where in the Alps to go, our recommendation is... <laughs> Is the Austrian Alps. Hopefully I don't make any Swiss people angry by saying this. <laughs> and it sounds like the other way to, as a Long Islander, to, to ski in a really cool place that's not the Catskills is to marry Swiss. Yep. Or Austrian. <laughs> or Austrian, yes. There's a lot of good skiing. There's a lot of good skiing in Europe. I mean, it would have been easier to marry someone from Colorado, but uh, what are you going to do? <laughs> well, you wow. guys are up there in Vermont. Do you go skiing up there? So... I had this traumatic experience in college when I tried to learn how to ski also on an icy mountain. And ever since then, (laughs) I have to say that's been my weakness that there is some amazing ski resorts, especially on the Canadian border, like Jay Peak is being the one that usually has the best snow. And that's like 40 minutes from where I live. So to be, to be determined. (laughs) It is skiing in the Northeast is it's cold. It's windy and it's icy. Yeah, the ice. That, that That is, yes. That yeah. is Northeast skiing. So I want my kids to get a bit of both because I want them to know how to ski on ice as well. <laughs> and that's all you need to do. Hang out in the Northeast a little bit and you'll get there. So, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about traveling with kids because that I, I think that that is such a good topic. But before we go there, I, I, I want to kind of go back and, and just emphasize what you're saying about how you started with traveling, you just started somewhere, it didn't really matter where, (laughs) maybe spent too much money. And um, you went to like wherever other people were going. But that helped you figure out the next thing It kind of got you got your feet wet in travel, got your interest peaked. And then you went to something that maybe was more meaningful to you. And then afterwards, it seems like the rest is history, you went to Southeast Asia, and you went on much more, probably intimidating trips for the beginning traveler. And that's that I, I think that is such a great evolution. So for people who are like, well, I don't know, travel intimidates me. I don't know what to do. I don't have a travel buddy or whatever it is. I, I think just go, <laughs> right? Even if you're like my first travel experience, I went to, I, I was studying abroad in England for my junior year in college. And the first kind of long vacation we had, I had made plans with a friend to go to Spain and we, I had bought the tickets and everything was set. And then my friend had to cancel the trip. And so I had to make a decision then, right? It had to be like, so should I cancel? Should I not go? Should I try to find somebody else? And everybody else in my program had already made plans or should I just go? So I just went (laughs) and the rest is history because I loved it. I had the most amazing time. I gained travel confidence like you you talked about and there was this freedom i mean yeah it was this was before cell phones and it was all internet cafes and i had my lonely planet on one hand so i knew what hostels to stay at and what public transportation to take and what sites i can see and it was it was amazing i actually loved traveling solo so much that i had planned some trips solo for the rest of the year even if i could have gotten travel buddies and so i there was no way that 
we would know any of these things about ourselves and our preferences about travel if we hadn't just started. One of the things that I that was always a, a struggle for me, and it took me a while to realize that that was even what I was struggling with, was loneliness when you're traveling by yourself. Because there's plenty of opportunities to meet people, but also you're spending tons of time by yourself. And so there were times that I was really struggling with the loneliness and I wasn't sure whether it was like depression or jet lag or what. And I, in, in retrospect now, I think a lot of it was loneliness. And on the longer trips, I eventually kind of got my legs under me and, and was okay with it. But it took a while to get accustomed to that, even though a lot of these hostels are such social places that you instantly meet tons of people from all over the world. They're all suddenly your best friend a moment later. You're by yourself. They're gone. Yeah. Did you ever feel that way? Oh, that's such that's such a good question. Actually, when you said that, I thought maybe he's an extrovert. And because I'm an introvert, so I loved it. <laughs> I actually thought, yeah, I just get to do whatever by myself. And introverts sort of get energized when they're by themselves. And I'm, I'm the friendly introvert. Like at hostels, I would chat with people and we, we might go out to dinner together. But then I was doing my own thing. So I actually enjoyed that. I, I think there is pl a place for both. I mean, certainly it's, it's, it's sort of you're taking a risk when you travel with somebody because you want to make sure that you have the same travel style. You want to there's it's, it's like marrying them for the time that you're on the trip. So it could be both ways. Like you could have an amazing time with a travel buddy or now traveling with their families. But you could also I, there's something about just being free and being by yourself. But maybe there is differences in how long people prefer to go doing that. I think for me also traveling alone. This is what I realized during my first trip, because I had originally planned to travel with these three other people that were in my study abroad program. But our, since our priorities didn't align, I would like, I started off, and actually this is where the itinerary came from. It wasn't just my itinerary. It had been the four of us coming up with something. I would, you know, spend a, a day away from them. Then I spent a couple of days away from them. Then I spent more. And then by the end of the trip, I was just on my own. And what I felt the difference, I felt like when I was traveling with them, I was a tourist. And when I was on my own, I was like an adventurer. I mean, obviously I was still a tourist, but, but really it just felt to me more like an adventure when I was, when I was on my own. And so I think I'm kind of over that now at 43, I don't need to be an adventure, but, but I think that was one of the things about traveling alone, but I never had to do it as a woman. Mm. And so for me, safety was, of course, when I first started doing it at 19, of course, safety wasn't a concern because I'm, I was invincible, right? At 19 years. But for you as a, as a single woman traveling alone, I mean, what were your, sorry, I'm turning this interview around, but what were your thoughts there about your own safety? Yeah. So one thing as I reflect back is I'm so glad that my parents were cool enough to just not object to, <laughs> to me doing this on my own. And then two, I think I was, I, you, you develop a confidence about and street smarts. And so like before I traveled to, to Europe, I also spent a summer abroad in China and so it was like a study abroad program and you're with these people in a dorm. So there, but I flew there by myself. So, and, and I was probably, it was the summer after freshman year. So I was like probably 19 or 18. But so anyway, you learn. There are blogs written by women who are just traveling long-term solo. And I think that actually was one of the amazing things was one of the reasons why I thought I had to travel with a buddy was because I was a young woman and, and that seemed like kind of risky and, and stupid. So I didn't go to places that that were maybe 
a little bit riskier. So I went to mostly safer places in, in Europe. I did go to Turkey, but then when I went there, really interesting, crossing the border from Greece to Turkey, they were like, you're not American. You have a U.S. passport, but you're not American because you're not, you don't look American. Oh, like, yeah, but really? this is my passport. <laughs> and, and so, wow. so I was, hmm, maybe next time I should probably fly into Turkey, not, not cross it over the border in some random spot on land. Yeah. But I, I think that also just gave me more confidence as a person and as a woman. So I, and so I, I'm really grateful for that. And, and in fact, I would say for, for any women or men, if you're, if you want to travel and maybe you think maybe you want to travel on your own or you don't have someone to travel with, don't let that stop you. Now, as attendings, we have more of a budget. We were, when, when we were doing this in college, it was an $8 a day hostel, right? And, and the bus, you, you don't have this luxury of let's sign up for a group where there are other people who are traveling, even like <laughs> travel tours. We didn't have that kind of money. When I was in Laos, it was, I was staying in a, in a hostel for a dollar a night, wow. but you could hear the rats. So I couldn't sleep. So I splurged and went to a hotel for 10 bucks a night. And it was amazing. It was the height of luxury. <laughs> or at one yeah. point I ended up, I was in Slovakia and, and I think there was just wasn't a hostel. So I stayed in a B&B or something like that. And I was like, oh my God, this is the height of luxury, even though it wasn't much money at all. It just felt so great. Right. Hedonic adaptation. I was used to living, sleeping in dorm beds and stuff. And now I had my own room and a hot bath. It was incredible. That's the other thing that I always want to emphasize about traveling, which is don't let the money stop you. If you have money to buy a flight or travel hack and get credit card points and fly somewhere, then pick a place where, you know, you're comfortable with, but where it's cheap, right? There are so many examples of that. So like you said, a $10 hotel is a luxury in Southeast Asia. Well, maybe not nowadays, but not like, anymore. No inflation adjusted. Yes. This was a long time ago, <laughs> but there are still places and you think, okay, maybe some of these places are a little bit riskier. I might get robbed. I might get harassed or whatever, but that's not true for all. You can find that place where you're super interested in going to and it's, it's cheap and still relatively safe. It's out there. Yeah. yeah. So do you want to talk about traveling with kids? Yes. Because that's yes. my taking transatlantic flights twice a year. So we go once in the winter and once in the summer. And we've been doing it twice a year with some breaks for COVID and some breaks whenever we had a new baby. So if there was a new baby, we weren't putting them on the plane. So there were some breaks in there, but, you know, usually twice a year. Yeah. Well, so like. What is it like? I mean, you have tips for how do you keep these three young boys entertained and not like running without pants, as you say, yeah. <laughs> on the aisles of the airplane? Yes. Yeah. My kids are most really most comfortable naked. That's one thing they don't tell you about potty training is when you're potty training them. Yeah. Yeah. Just take their pants off and they'll kind of figure it out. And yeah, fine. Yeah. The hard part, getting their pants back on. <laughs> And we still, we still haven't gone and done that. My boys love being naked, but no, we haven't, they haven't flashed the airplane. So yeah. So a, a couple of things that we've learned. One is when you're flying, so, so the red eye, right? The red eye is the easiest because they will sleep. And so one of the things that we started doing is I think it makes the most sense to do because there's a six o'clock flight and a, a 6 a.m., 6 p.m. and a 9 p.m. flight. Let's get on the earlier one. So then they're not going to be super fried and like cranky because our kids go to bed between 7.38. So if they're on the nine o'clock flight, by the time it like takes off and it's like 10, if there's a delay, then it's going to be 11 and they're going to be fried. No, incorrect. 
Incorrect. They will fall asleep much easier if you take that later flight. Because when we get on the six o'clock flight, like they're not falling asleep until a few hours into the flight. Now they've only gotten a couple of hours sleep and now they're completely fried the next day and then jet lag. And so, so one recommendation is take the later flight, push their bedtime, even though it's not getting them to Zurich time because Zurich is six hours earlier. Like, don't worry about the jet lag first. You just want to make sure that they sleep on the flight because mm -hmm. they will be much easier to manage if they're sleeping. So one thing is, yes, take the later flight. Second thing is get them nice eye masks. So we got them these fancy eye masks, which my little diva children continue to sleep with sometimes to this day. They come downstairs, they wake up in the morning and they come downstairs and they've got their little eye mask Aww. on their forehead because they've been using it to sleep. They're little divas now. It's hilarious. So yeah, so get them little, not just the one that the airplane might give you, but you get your own, get their own nice eye mask so it's comfortable for them to wear. So it'll be easier for them to either fall asleep or if they're not going to sleep with it, you can then put it on them so that they're more likely to stay asleep. And then the other thing is Benadryl. So I know we're both physicians. I'm just going to give the disclaimer. This is not medical advice. I know through the magic of podcasting, you're hearing me in your ear like I'm speaking to you, audience member, but this is not medical advice for me to you, not a doctor-patient relationship, but this is what I do with my kids. So if Benadryl diphenhydramine is FDA approved for two and over. So once they hit two, then we started giving, giving it to them and we give it to them once we're seated on the plane. So you don't want to give it to them and then the flight's delayed and then you're then they're zonked in the seat then you got to like carry them onto the plane and then and then they wake up and mm -hmm. so you want to make sure that they fall asleep in their seat so once they're on the plane then we 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 do and if anyone has a cold we also afrin them afrin fda approved for 6 and over but that way you make sure that their ears aren't a problem because mm -hmm. my kids i'm sure everyone else's are sick all the time and so if you have a cold and you're on a plane, you're going to, and remember everyone, I'm an otolaryngologist. Okay. This is what I do. So you're, they're, they're less likely to have ear problems when the plane is descending. I may or may not use that with my kids even before they were six, but we like diluted it one to one. So it wasn't as, wasn't as strong. So these are a couple of things that we do with our kids and then having candy and snacks and lollipops for descent. So when the plane is landing, having lollipops mm -hmm. and such for them so that they're swallowing while they're landing. So that's, that, those are some of the things that we do now. And also screen time. Screen time is when you're flying, it is, there are no rules. There are no rules. You can use your screen as much as you want. And on a lot of these airplanes, they've got a screen that they can control. They can watch, they, my kids put on Thor Love and Thunder, which is, there's some terrifying parts of that. It's completely inappropriate, but they have no idea what they're watching, whatever. They've got that screen and then they've got their little, we use Amazon Fire tablets, which are like a hundred bucks a pop or something and downloaded a ton of really learning games is what we've downloaded. And so at least it feels like they're doing some learning. And, but no, they, the, and that way also on the way back, they've got two screens. And for my older boys, it keeps them entertained literally the entire eight hour flight back. They do not bother. They barely bother us. The only way that they bother us is they yell to each other. And so the, the two older ones, because they've got their headphones on, they can't hear how loud they are. And so they're like, look at this. Look at what I just did. Oh yeah. I just, and so they're like yell and they can't hear each other. Cause the other one's got headphones on. He's got his own game in his ears. So yes, tablets is download their favorite games, whatever, make sure like all, all rules are off for, for the way back, but for the way there, late flight, Benadryl, eye masks, 
and maybe Afrin if they're if they're sick, so they don't have problems on on descent. Duh. Yeah, and then you get there, and then once you're there, we don't shift their bedtime very much, mm-hmm. or if we do, we shift it very slowly. That's smart. And so they end up they're they're on New York time, and so the first night because they barely got any sleep the night before, they're zonked. Okay, no naps. If the baby, if the youngest one still takes a nap, we he naps. But one way that we're able to adjust them is you kind of utilize the naps to your advantage. You have him take a short nap, so then he'll be like zonked that night. And then we Benadryl them that night as well, so that they're more likely to sleep through the night. So we keep them up as late as we can. So now they're really fried. And we do that with TV. We'll put on a movie, put on a movie after dinner. So they stay up really late and then they'll, it, it, it gets them to adjust. But since New York time is so much later than Zurich time, we don't have their regular bedtime for them. They're going to bed with the adults at like 10 o'clock at night, 11 o'clock at night. And then maybe slowly over time, we kind of adjust them to Mm -hmm. a more regular schedule. So we get some evening time without the kids, but you don't want to really shoehorn your kids into adjusting to the local time. And when we, when we're vacationing in in Austria as well. We keep them there up late with the adults. And then when we go to bed, they go to bed. So we all go to bed together. And that leads to less of a jet lag issue. And then when we get back, then they're already on, they're not on exactly New York time, but they're much closer to it. So those are a couple of my travel recommendations. I'm trying to think of some other things. You can, you can find good stuff from this company and this is not an affiliate link. Hiccupop. Hiccupop makes like this blow up stuff. So they make blow up booster seats. You can use that also on their chairs for like dinner time. They also make it for, you can put it on the side of a bed so that the kids don't roll out of bed. Not the same product, but they make this like long skinny tube that you can put underneath the blanket, the, the sheet so that for the younger kids, so they don't roll out of bed because our kids aren't in cribs anymore. So they make some cool products that are portable because they're blow up. Mm. So Hiccupop. So check that out. That's a, that a lot of gems. Wow. Yeah. And I love the sort of like, what, what is the ENT doing for their kids related to the the, like, Afrin's okay. Cause I'm always hearing, yeah. no, don't use Afrin, but that makes sense. Just, just for the flight. And no, yeah. Afrin's amazing. When you have a cold, yes, it can lead to dependence, but colds are self-limited. You're only going to have a really super stuffy nose for a couple of days. No, Afrin is, Afrin is underutilized as long as you recognize that you can develop right at its medicamentosa if you use it for more than six doses. So my little plug for, this is not, there's not an affiliate link for that either. It's just, <laughs> I'm a big fan of oxymetazoline when used properly. Mm, mm. Lovely. Wow. This is, this is fantastic. I, look, look at all these things that we pulled out of you that we didn't even know we we're going to talk about. I love it. And so you know, I love what you're doing and you've been doing this for a while. You're really a podcast veteran at this point. How, how do people find you? So I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Physician's Guide. The podcast is called Physician's Guide to Doctoring, also on YouTube. Uh, I think the, it's at Physician's Guide to Doctoring on YouTube, or my website is physiciansguidetodoctoring.com, and you can, you can reach all that stuff there. I might be putting some of my stuff on TikTok, but really it's not because you should follow me on TikTok. It's just so people can find me on it and then listen to the podcast. Because really, are you going to be doing the dances and the finger pointing? Oh my God. I will, I will, I will not be doing the dances. <laughs> I will not be doing the dances. I have no moves. 
Oh, we, we're all hoping that my sons develop their moves from their mother because I, I have no moves whatsoever. And definitely had the white man's overbite when dancing. I definitely did that until I found out that it was a thing that other people did as well. And so... Okay, now I have to look it up. About, <laughs> dancing while you're biting your lower lip. You're really getting into it. Yep. Yeah. So, sorry. So, yeah. So, the and the podcast is called Physician's Guide to Doctoring. And it's really the, the topics run the gamut on anything that, like, from anywhere from policy to expert witness work to side gigs, main gigs, doctor-patient relationship, doctor-patient communication, the patient experience, managing your staff, really lots of different stuff. And then we cover a little bit of medicine too. Every so often I'll have a specialist on just telling what every physician should know about the that particular specialty from neurosurgeons to pathologists, right? That's fantastic. And, and tell us again the tagline, because I love the tagline. Oh, everything we should have been learning while we were memorizing Krebs cycle, right? All that useless stuff that we had to memorize and forget. Well, this is the useful stuff, how to run through office hours efficiently, how to chart efficiently and get home on time, all that stuff that we should be teaching our trainees. And so now I kind of am, right? Because I'm in, uh, in getting involved in the NYU Long Island Medical School. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This has been so fun and I can't wait to share this with my audience. Thank you. This was great. Hey, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed that episode, please share it with a friend and go on your favorite podcast app to give us a five-star rating and a review. It really helps us to get the word out there. Also, I am really excited to announce I've started a online Facebook community for physicians. Go and search for Dare to Dream Physician Travel. That's the name of the Facebook group. If you have trouble finding us, the link is also in the show notes. I hope to see you on the inside.